Hello, New Life Manitou. Hi, I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. Um, we have been, for the last few weeks, we've been camping out in the uh, Lord's Prayer. Um, we've been just taking it line by line, verse by verse, and um, or not even verse by verse, phrase by phrase, really. Um, and so today, we're going to... Um, we're actually going to be looking at a very particular, um, the, the Lord's Prayer shows up in two of the four Gospels, and we're going to be looking at Matthew's version of it. So it's actually in Matthew 6. It's going to be right up here on the screens. Um, I'm going to read it right now, and, so, uh, and then at the end, um, right before we come to the table, we will stand and we'll pray it together. But let's just listen to it for, for the moment. In Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. It's Jesus talking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus adds something at the end of this prayer uh, that seems really relevant for this morning. Um, for if, verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, we, uh, we need you to come and speak. And so we're thankful about the kind of person you are and the kind of God you are, Jesus. Um, fully man, fully God. We thank, thank you that you are faithful and that you come and speak gospel and resurrection life into all of the places where we are dead. And so do it again this morning. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so this, the wording right here in Matthew's version of the gospel is a little different. It's forgive us our debts. That's right. This is the worst part of Jesus' prayer for American Express and MasterCard. They're like, I don't know about it. On the other hand, it's a, it's a favorite part of the prayer for anybody with a mortgage or student loans. Like everybody's really excited about this. Forgive us our debts is what Jesus says right here. Um, we're going to be looking at this from, uh, just to give you a heads up on where we're going this morning, we're going to be looking at this from two sides of the same coin, okay? So we're going to focus on one side, and then we'll flip the coin and look at it um, from the other side. Uh, but first, we should acknowledge that this isn't, I should confess, this isn't the typical way that I pray this prayer, and it's not the way that any of us have been praying this prayer uh, week after week. In fact, it's not going to be the way that we pray it at the end of the service. Forgive us our debts. Um, as I mentioned, the, this, uh, the prayer is preserved in two of the four gospel accounts. And they actually use two different words um, for, uh, for what they say right here in the Lord's Prayer. And it's not, neither one of them are what we're going to pray at the end of the, um, at the end of the service, which is interesting. Uh, Matthew preserves for us here in Matthew chapter 6, forgive us our ophelama, is what he says. Forgive us our debts. 
um, in the centuries leading up to uh, Jesus, uh, uh, forgiving a debt became a common expression for talking about forgiving a sin. We, have, we say this a little bit in our culture too. We say, I want to, um, how can I make it up to you? <laughs> you know, like we've done something wrong to someone and we realize there's like, ah, something's not right. I need to get it back to where it was. Um, if I hurt someone in the first century, I need to pay their debt back. And so Matthew right here is preserving, it's almost certainly, uh, the language nerds tell me, um, almost certainly an Aramaic expression is what's being preserved right here um, that Jesus was using with other Aramaic-speaking Jews and Matthew has preserved for us. Well, let's call it a Matthewism because Matthew's the one who calls it that. And that makes sense because Matthew is, his gospel appears to have been written to a largely Jewish audience. It's, it's a very, very, very Jewish um, gospel. Luke, however, the other place where the Lord's Prayer is written, uh, it, he writes to a non-Jewish audience. He writes to people who probably don't know Aramaic, probably don't know Aramaic expressions. And so in Luke 11, the other place where the Lord's Prayer is preserved, um, Luke uses a different word. He says, forgive us our hamartia, is what he says, our sins. So just to clarify what we're saying, and this will circle back by the end of the sermon, Luke clarifies a Matthewism. He gets rid of a, of a phrase that Matthew uses, and he, he gets rid of the word debt, and he clarifies what he was meaning by using the word sin, because this audience um, is non-Jewish, and they don't know Aramaic or Aramaic expressions. They don't know Matthewisms, and so Luke clarifies what's being said for people who don't know the expression. You follow? And so he just said, we know that Jesus is talking about sin right here, and so that's the word that Luke uses. It's, uh, it's really comforting, actually, to watch Luke do this because all of the gospel writers care about accuracy. Changing the word is actually a a sign that Luke cares desperately about accuracy in conveying Jesus and his story to us. If you didn't know, Luke's gospel um, includes some of Jesus' strongest expressions and teachings and radical teachings about money. Luke does. And yet, Luke is the one who says he's got this phrase plopped in his lap. Forgive us our debts, MasterCard and Visa and American Express, tremble in your boots. And yet, Luke, who records all the radical stuff about money, throws it out. He says, I know, I want to clarify. It would fit really nicely between the parable of the rich fool that Luke records for us and the story that he records about a a tax collector Zacchaeus, you know, giving back all of the money that he has uh, swindled and that he's embezzled. But no, Luke says, nope, not going to use forgive us our debts. Um, Even though Money stuff's really important to me. I want to make sure and clarify what Jesus meant when he was saying this. The Matthewism's got to go. Jesus meant forgive sins. Um, And so uh, he wants to make sure that we don't miss the point. And uh, by the way, to put a, a cap on this, that's actually what William Tyndale did in the year 1526 when he used the word forgive us our 
trespasses is what he, uh, William Tyndale, uh, debtor's prison had stopped being kind of a thing um, by the 16th century. And so, uh, but trespassing on private property had become a really big deal. And so uh, you take out debt and you put trespasses and suddenly some, the culture understands what's being said. And so Bob's your uncle. That's how we get trespasses in here. But regardless of whether it's sin, trespasses, debt, all of this is driving at the same central reality. Jesus is trying to, with this prayer, he's trying to ground us in the real world. We regularly wrong people. That's the beginning of the verse 12. And others regularly wrong us. That's Jesus is wanting us to this to be regular part of the way that we interact with God. He looks at all of us with 2020 realism. He's like clarity. He's like, I'd, I don't want you to be surprised by either of these realities. Others are going to wrong you in the week. In the month, in the, don't be surprised. Others are going to wrong you, and you are going to wrong other people. And this is going to be happening with such regularity that you need to make it a regular part of the way that you're praying. It comes right on the heels of, give us this day our daily bread, is what he says. And so Jesus is like, just like you need a steady diet of daily food, you need a steady diet of confessing. And you need a steady diet of forgiving other people. And so get this. I really enjoy this. Um, being, according to Jesus, being a good human involves regularly confessing, I'm not a perfect human. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's how, like, because the, the worst people in the world are the people who think they're perfect and walking around. They're not even a good person. But like Jesus is calling us on the narrow way, calling us to become more integrated, more fully alive and fully human. And he says, this is going to involve you saying I'm not perfect regularly. And this is not us talking, this is not like self-flagellation, like whipping or shaming ourselves or like beating ourselves up. Or We're just talking about two things here. Well, that's four things. <laughs> Two things. <laughs> Honesty and vulnerability is what we're talking about right here. Honesty with ourselves, <laughs> first and foremost. I'm not perfect, despite all of the, the ways that I fool myself or, you know, think that, gosh, what is their problem? Well, you're their problem. <laughs> like, it's me. I'm their problem. Um, and vulnerability. Honesty with ourselves and vulnerability with other people. We have a four-year-old and a five-year-old, if you didn't know, um, and in our house right now. And so we've got a lot of daily arguing, daily yelling, daily crying, but enough about me and joy. You should see our kids. <laughs> uh, in, in, in all seriousness, though, uh, like, though, if you ever wanted your patience to be broken, and then pulverized, and then ground up in a mortar, and then swept up in a dustpan, and then sneezed back into your face. Um, try living with multiple preschool-aged children. Can I get a witness somewhere? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the age, man. They're just like going 100 miles an hour, doing 1,000 different things, 
speaking millions of words and ricocheting off like each other and us in like a dozen different ways. Joy and I were trying to have a conversation. Uh, it was like a week and a half ago. Uh, like a 10-minute conversation. Feels like it takes two hours to complete. And it really does sometimes. It's just because you're just constantly being interrupted. And it's this age where you're just trying to like, okay, teach them self-control. Okay, teach them patience. And so the other day, Joy and I are having one of these conversations. It was, I don't exactly remember what it was, but whatever, it was a tender sort of topic for both of us. We both wanted to be talking about it. We needed to talk about it. And our five-year-old Daphne just kept interrupting. She interrupted again, like after the second or third time that I'm like, stop interrupting. And I did the dad snap. Does anyone know what the dad snap is? It's like, can we please just get five minutes? Bluster, bluster, bluster. You know, I just want to finish a sentence for crying out loud. Give me my newspaper. It's like a pipe or, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. But like the, the, the dad snap and Daphne, I, this is, uh, it's, um, we try to speak, we, we try not to raise our voices in our house and we try to just be direct. And, but so Daphne is a little shocked by this and she freezes and I can just like see like tears just welling up in her eyes. And I leave the room because that's the best thing to do. And I take a few deep breaths. And then I think, oh yeah, Brett, she's the one who needs to learn self-control. She's the one who needs to learn patience. Yeah, right, right, right. And so I try to keep short accounts uh, with people, with uh, especially my bride and my girls. And so um, I walked back into the other room and I confessed, is what I did. I, I confessed to my five-year-old. <laughs> I got down with Daphne and I, we locked eyes through both of our tears, you know, and I said, Papa should not have talked to you that way. I got mad that you were interrupting and I did something I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done it. Daphne, what I did was wrong. Papa shouldn't have done it. It wasn't okay. Will you forgive me? <laughs> you know, five-year-olds are resilient. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. And then, don't worry, parents, we did go on to address, like, okay, you've been interrupting, patience, self-control, all of that. But um, it wasn't until I, uh, I needed to confess my own lack of self-control, my own lack of patience before we can get to anybody. Because I am super aware that I am always modeling for those around me, especially my children, how much honesty and vulnerability are safe. You are modeling for every relationship that you have how honest and vulnerable it is safe to be. If I want to receive apologies, I have got to be willing to show other people that I am just as willing and eager to make apologies as I am to receive them. We, should, we could say it this way. Giving confession unlocks receiving confession. 
that's the, way, that's the way you're gonna start opening up space for it. Start giving confession. And you're gonna unlock the space for confession to start being received. And I'm not talking about, again, I'm clarifying. I'm not talking about over-confessing. I'm not talking about apologizing for things that you shouldn't own. We're not talking about all that. But we're just talking about honestly owning where we have wronged people. Where we're getting vulnerable about the debt that we owe. Like, how can I make this up to you? I owe you at this point, how can I make it right? Honesty, that thing, that choice, that behavior, that pattern, that that thing I keep doing actually, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. There's no excuse here. We're not making excuses when we're making confession. It's not good. And vulnerability, I hurt you. How can I make this up to you? How can I pay this debt is a common way we say it. Honesty and vulnerability These two things are the only way to lasting human relationships. They are the only way that we can have lasting, meaningful, healthy relationships with one another is when we are consistently practicing honesty and vulnerability. And it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What's good for the goose is good for God. Actually, that's what I'm trying to say. It's good. It's true for people. And it's also true for God. We're getting near to the, to the heart of the Christian message here. And we're about to turn the coin. The, like the reality is that we have to be honest and vulnerable to be in healthy, meaningful relationship with others. It's the same with God, the reality. And we're getting close to the, to the gospel at this point. The reality is we live in a good and beautiful world that is also brutally broken. It's just like, if you hadn't noticed, it's like kind of jacked up, this place that we're living in. And it's just profoundly beautiful too. But I, in all the midst of all this beauty, I am part of the brokenness. Like me, like, not, not any of you, me, I'm part of the brokenness. And, and I, I, it's not just that I'm part of the, I actually like being part of the brokenness sometimes. Sometimes I double down and I'm just like, screw it, I'm just gonna be ugly to this person. And then like, and then we build up debts with one another and we build up debts with God. But have you heard the good news? The gospel, it, we will, one of the early Christian writings puts it this way. Uh, Colossians, Paul writes, he said, when you were dead because of the things you had done and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. It, that's past tense. God's already done it. He's forgiven. He destroyed, past tense, he destroyed the record of debt we owe. There it is again, that image with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. Let me tell you the good news about what God is like as we're flipping the coin right here. We're all hopelessly in debt. We're all part of the brokenness and God became one of us to cancel, to forgive the debt, every debt. And he did it by absorbing the debt. Have you ever had to absorb a debt? Have you ever had to like, maybe like, maybe it's actual money, but maybe it was like a a tool that you loaned out to somebody or a piece of clothing that was like really important. Jewelry, a book is more my speed. Like that one was all marked up the way I liked it. And I loaned it out and I never got it back. But like, but like you've loaned it and it never came back. And then if you value the relationship, what do you have to do? You have to absorb 
the debt. Yeah, if you want to maintain a relationship with this person, there's no getting it back. The tool is gone. The jewelry's lost. Oh, I have to absorb it. And it hurts. And the bigger the debt, the more significant the debt, the harder it hurts is the reality of it. And that's like a picture of what's happening on the cross, according to Colossians. It's, it's not that God is a bloodthirsty deity that requires pure blood in order to pay off debts. It's that God's own blood, the blood of Jesus of Nazareth, splattered on wood, dripping on dirt, that blood shows us how serious the brokenness of this world is. It demonstrates how profound a debt we all are in, how costly and painful it will be to absorb this debt. And God does it. God does it because God values his relationship with you. He loves you. And he says, oh, if it takes this, I want you. If it takes this, I want you. I want you even though you owe me, even though you've screwed it up again and again, even though you've been doing it for decades, even though you're broken. Here, I will carry the brokenness. I'll take the debt. Even though it hurts like hell, I will, like, I will become the broken and I will destroy your debt and I will destroy the sin in all of you. I promise you, I will destroy the sin in your lives that remain. That's like, that's like the monkey wrench in all the cogs and busting up your life. I will destroy that so that you can be fully and forever alive. This is what we're trying to say. Jesus rescues me from a life defined by my sin is what the Lord's prayer is saying. The Lord's prayer is reminding us, I sin regularly and my life is not defined by that sin. In, in fact, the way that this happens is actually embedded within the Lord's Prayer too. We could say it this way. Jesus prays our sin. Jesus prays our sin with us so that we can pray our Father with him. Is what, that's what's happening in the Lord. We're praying with Jesus is what the Lord's Prayer is. And Jesus doesn't have sin and yet he comes in solidarity with us and says, okay, yep, that lust, that alcoholism, that vindictiveness, that bitterness that you hold, our sin is what Jesus says. And he invites us to pray our father with him. He defines your life. You are more than your worst day. You are more than that pattern or behavior. You are released. You are free. You are a child of God, so says Jesus. <laughs> it's the gospel that we, he takes our sin and we take his status. It's what the gospel says. My father in heaven gets to define my life because the debt is absorbed. The sin is forgiven. We are loved. Our future is open because the grave is empty. Jesus is risen and love is stronger than hate. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. That's the gospel. Will you believe Jesus? And this is such breathtakingly good news, and we need to flip the coin. We got to flip the coin because Jesus also rescues us from a, my life being defined by their sin. 
is what this prayer is saying. The same Jesus who says, I absorb your debt. I forgive you. I give you my status. He's also right here in this context. We're in the middle of a Sermon on the Mount, if you don't know, right here in Matthew. He also says right before this, now I want you to go and turn your cheek. I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to give freely and give extra is what I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor. And I want you to love your enemy. I, want you to love, I don't want you to hate your enemy. I don't want you to shoot your enemy. I don't want you to bomb your enemy. I want you to pray for your enemies. And I want you to love and bless those who persecute you. All of this is like right here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the upside down world of Jesus right here. Baked into the Lord's prayer is the assumption that we are going to be forgiving other people's sins. That's the, that the same people who are asking for grace from God are also the people who are willing to extend grace to other people. Is forgive us, what does the prayer say? As we also have forgiven. And then Matthew, this is a, it's a, um, only shows up in Matthew right here, uh, the way he, said, he, said, he adds that heart-stopping statement at the end of this prayer. Um, he's speaking to a very Jewish community. He says, um, if you don't forgive, your father will not forgive you. And then Matthew, he's the only one, he's the only gospel writer to record a lengthy parable in a handful of chapters. In chapter 18, it's about a servant released by a king from a monster debt. You guys remember this one? Monster debt, the servant's released from. But then this servant walks out of the courtroom and he refuses to forgive his fellow servant from a moderate debt. Um, The point, that parable is like, punching home the exact same point that's being said here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. If you don't forgive, your Father will not forgive you. What does this mean? (laughs) Because last I checked, I find zero instances of Jesus walking around Galilee checking to see if people qualify for forgiveness. The stories sure would read differently if we had passive-aggressive Jesus. Like people, like like they're digging through the ceiling and lowering the guy in, and he's like, passive-aggressive Jesus says, well, I know your friends just lowered you through the ceiling, but it looks like you have a little bit of unforgiveness in your heart. Well, let me look in mine. Turns out I've got some in mine too. Like that's, is that what's being talked about here? Because what exactly does Jesus mean right here? We're I can tell you, we are not the ones who start or stop forgiveness in God's heart. We are not. If we are, then that means that we can change God. And we're actually the ones who are saving ourselves. But, but that's, that's not the case. We've already heard Paul in Colossians. He said, in his unfathomable love, God forgave us. Past tense. He nailed it to the cross. He canceled it out. The debt's absorbed by Jesus. So what exactly does Jesus mean right here? I need, because a lot of us, I've heard feedback on this sermon already that I uh, preached at Friday night. And this is um, profoundly helpful to some people to, because Uh, this is a haunting verse right here, isn't it? That your father won't forgive your sins. If it seems strange on the surface, then maybe we should take Luke's lead and say, is this a Matthewism? 
Is this like an expression that his very Jewish audience would have understood? And he's actually commute. And it turns out it is. If you like, Matthew's the only one who says this. And so, would it have resonated? It, when, so, when his Jewish audience heard this, when they heard, if you can go ahead and throw that up, uh, Beth, um, if y'all forget, because it, it's all plural here, if y'all forgive others their sins, y'all's heavenly Father will also forgive y'all. He'll forgive y'all. Um, but if y'all don't forgive others, neither will y'all's father forgive y'all's sins. It, we hear it in a haunting kind of like first person singular kind of way, a haunting kind of way as if God's a passive aggressive or something. But like uh, there are no first person singular pronouns anywhere in this prayer. Jesus is addressing a group of people, a profoundly Jewish group of people, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's tapping into the language of the Jewish scriptures right here, profoundly important places right here. Promises like Jeremiah 31 or Isaiah 40 or Daniel 9, where, where God is promising, I'm going to carry my people out of exile. They've wandered into the into like the into nothingness, into the wilderness and waste. They are not what they are meant to be. But one day I will forgive their sins, is the language. I will bring them back and they will become what they were meant to be. Forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament is essentially a promise that God is going to bring his people back and make them what they were destined to be. This is about what they are becoming, not about who God is. Does that make sense? This phrase, the father will forgive y'all's sins, is not about God's side of the equation. It's not about God's experience, as in God's just nursing this grudge up in heaven, and like he's so angry about it, we gotta set God free of his grudge, that it, and he's, crying, he's nursing a grudge against all of us. Man, for crying out loud, that's, a, that's exhausting. I thought grudge against one person was hard. Uh, your father will not forgive your sins is a warning especially to a Jewish audience, that it's possible to miss the brand new thing that God is doing. It's possible that you could miss what's been promised by the prophets and not become what you were destined to be. You were made to be forgiving. And if you don't forgive, you're not, you're not becoming what you were meant to be. God destined Israel to image him in the world to convey his love, his grace, his blessing in the world. And so forgiveness of sins is about God doing it, creating a new covenant, a new creation people who will bring that blessing to the world. He's going to bring people out of wilderness, out of exile, and into the land of blessing. But you cannot feel the shores of blessing through the shoes of bitterness is I think what Jesus is getting at right here. You, you will not experience the life that God has for you and you will not become who you were meant to be if you keep, though, you gotta take those shoes off. Holy ground, man. <laughs> this is, get to sink your toes deep in the sand. He's not making threats against us right here. Jesus isn't. He's 
putting up guardrails for us. He's saying, that's a cliff. Don't go that way. It's not, unforgiveness is not going to take you anywhere good. I feel profoundly burdened about this and communicating this because um, in this morning in the room, statistically, with a few dozen people in the room, uh, we have a handful of people who have um, been the victims of, um, of domestic abuse. I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, and we also have a handful of people who have been um, the victims of sexual assault. And uh, some of the people in our room who are, don't have the same uh, skin color as I do, um, some of you have experienced um, persecution and oppression based on the color of your skin um, for, for decades in this country. And some of us um, have heard this statement from Jesus, if you do not forgive, God will not forgive your sins, or the Father will not forgive your sins. And it feels like you're being abused twice is the way it feels. It feels like God is actually siding with the abuser. It feels like, like I was hurt, I was wounded, I was battered, but, and now God's the one who's battered. He's threatening me. He's saying that I need to get over it quick, bounce back, let it just slide off my back as if it, nothing happened. Because, and if I don't, then I'm like being threatened with I don't know what. But like, the, and I, we just need to name this in the room right now. Like, because some of us have heard this statement and it's created so much fear in us and that wound was so deep and the experience was so traumatic and you feel so isolated and alone by it. And it's not that you don't want to forgive. Like, okay, they did that to me. I want to forgive, but like, I don't know how. And we hear these words and think, my God, I need to get over this quick because Jesus is threatening me. And I want to tell you what we do. We end up pushing it to the side. We end up pushing it away. I just push it in the closet, push, throw it under the rug, something, because I am so angry about this. I am so sad about this. I, I know that I haven't forgiven them. I know I've got a long way to go, but I just don't think about it. I never think about it because if I never think about it, if I've forgotten it, maybe that's as good as forgiving it. And then hopefully I'm not in danger from God is the way that some of us in the room feel. And can I tell you this morning that it is okay that it is taking a while to grieve it. It is okay for it to be a hard, long process. It's like what they did was horrible. What they did was horrible. It was not right. And it is right that you are angry about it. Like it's right that you're sad. It's right that you have been wrestling through it. It's okay. It's totally normal that forgiveness is a process that takes a long time. Sometimes even a lifetime is how long it takes. Uh, we should name what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is an ongoing decision to entrust our bitterness 
to God and ultimate justice to God is what we're like. And it's not to hide our bitterness from God, but to bring it to him and say, here, here it is. They, they screwed up my life. They send their sin into me. And now it can't get out of me. It's like a splinter that's just infecting my soul. It, in my life, I have struggled with three people uh, that I've had a profound, difficult time uh, forgiving. Um, <laughs> Profoundly wounded me. One of them was uh, uh, my my first wife uh, in our first in my first marriage. Um, who it was deep betra- betrayal. And the other two were um, they were actually uh, church leaders in two different churches that made up untrue accusations about me and ended up costing me up both my jobs <laughs> like the like uh, sequentially. And um, I, it I, it's taken time to entrust my bitterness to God. But as I do, as I keep bringing it to God, here, I've still got this. Here, I've still got this. You're the one who's sorting out the world. Sort me out. Sort them out. Sort out it all. It's a mess. As I do, little by little, you know what's happening? I find that somehow he's releasing me from it. I don't know the, how it works. And somehow, God is even filling me with love for them, like, and I'll go months and years and I'll think like, oh, everything's okay. And then all of a sudden, oh, that splinter's still there. <laughs> There's a little bit more in there. This was a shrapnel, sin shrapnel all over the place. And I have to decide. It's a decision to continue in the process of forgiveness is what I have to. And Jesus is warning us about what happens if you abort the process. If you say, no, I'm not going there, pulling up the handbrake. In fact, I'm throwing it in reverse. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna nurse the grudge. I'm gonna be angry about this. And Jesus is saying, when we define our lives by their sin, it's hell, is what he's saying. When we harbor bitterness, when we cultivate resentment, when we nurse the grudge, he's saying, be aware. That is not the kind of life you were made for. That is not a Jeremiah 31 kind of new covenant kind of life. That's not a forgiveness of sins kind of life. Warning, warning, that place is death. So don't live there. Don't live there. He's not teaching us that we should all be made of Teflon and that everything should just be sliding right off of us immediately. He's not teaching us that we should be made of rubber. And then we should just be bouncing back from everything. Oh, no, nothing happened. What Jesus is teaching us is Jesus teaching us that new creation people eventually become like him. That they, they have, they're trusting God for ultimate justice. They are blessing people through their bruises. And they are having life conveyed to people even through their wounds. Jesus is saying, if you keep following me, if you keep praying with me, make this a regular part of what you're praying, eventually you are going to be whole. People often sin us into the tombs, but Jesus doesn't let us stay there. He's not going to let you stay in the place of death. They regularly, people regularly shrapnel from all over. And Jesus said, they owe you a debt. They do. And Jesus is saying, by my spirit, by my praying with you, you can release people from the debt that they owe you. You are going to, you are going to, as you follow Jesus, you are going to feel your toes sinking 
in the shores of blessing. You have been released from your debts, my brothers and sisters, and you can set others free from theirs. So I invite you to stand. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and the band's going to come, and Joe's going to lead us to the table. So I invite you to, right now, let's take the words of this prayer on our lips, into our hearts, not just here, but throughout the week. It's 30 seconds for crying out loud. We can do this multiple times a day. Jesus, thank you that you teach us how to pray and that you stand with us and pray it with us. And so right now, we're glad that you're in this place and we take your words on our lips as we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.